the the questions um that i was going to ask you were <laughs> were uh two questions and i don't know if they're related or not but um i was reading uh this book again um the mindfulness uh buddha dasa book i don't know if you can see it oh a mindful okay that's a new edition yes I yeah the thin book uh done by uh at a retreat uh 1988 uh santa carl yes yeah i love it because it's super like very um proud like really one by one you know breaking it down um and uh i love it because it's uh i read it once but i didn't really i kind of read it i didn't really like read it read it um uh there's one question first that is maybe related the second question has to do with the book um the first question is about because in my practice um the number one thing that has caused me the most trouble um is is so funny i mean it's funny because you already the laughter shows that there's something underneath you know the the restless or something because it really is like one of them would like i you know when you go down to it I, I can't really say that i've had a lot of suffering in my life most of it has come from just my mind not from like the outside of physical um which is the state of humanity yeah yeah it really is it, because even the physical is a manifestation of like that inner turmoil um and a lot of it has had to do with um lust or sex or even having sexuality as a thing existing in me is like a wrong thing and uh like a lot of that like when i see a girl or i see some attractive something it doesn't matter what it is because uh automatically it's always filled with intense not fear i can talk to, i used to be able not to talk to people like i couldn't look up at them I couldn't look up at their eyes because <laughs> yeah, I was always scared. I was always just really, you know, like that's just a habit that you form unknowingly. And uh, it's just hard because like when it when it uh, pushes um, like in my belly, like it's just like a fear, basically, an intense fear. It's not like a fear. It is fear yeah yeah it really is it's uh it's super painful like it really hurts and sometimes well, let's say that instead of using that language let's start using or start to use a new language yeah and that new language is i don't like it yeah 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 oh yeah it oh i have stories to show you like i have an example just recently of this in my life is I was with this uh, girl that I I just you know I'm with her like I I work with her so it's like I have no choice <laughs> so um, I'm in I'm kind of in that situation battling my own mind because it's not her she's not doing anything it's just my mind and my my kind of or whatever it is the body and when the last time I just really couldn't deal with it like of course i could deal with it. i wasn't like going nuts or i could talk to her but inside it was just crying like you can do this don't worry don't no wait it's there get away from me i don't want no i can deal with this breathe relax relax like just a forceful kind of like 
as it's getting smaller, the more you say no to it, the worse it becomes. And it becomes like a, a sweat, a cramp. It can manifest as a cramp or as sweating. It depends on how bad it can get. Uh, sometimes it gets so bad that it can turn into borderline like anxiety or like things like that. Not borderline. It is anxiety. Yeah, it just is. It just is that really. And, 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 and sometimes it's really the most powerful one of the hindrance or I think that would be a hindrance and um, because I can't see through it once like unless I don't really practice beforehand and really keep sustaining it will it will like take over my life like if I if I if I wasn't a Buddhist I'd, pr I'd probably be somewhere really horrible right now but like in that sense and that's how it, it's not who I am anymore. I don't see it as myself because I used to think I am. I have to get rid of this. This is who I am. Like I'm a horrible human um, for having any type of, of, of feeling. So it's kind of well, like. I'm glad uh, to hear that you're coming out of that. Yeah. Like I told you the porn and the addiction and all that, like addiction. And um, that was really hard. I mean, for me to see like it was just incredibly difficult because of the fact that I kept thinking that it was something I had to get rid of because I need to perfect me that at the end of this training there will be a me shiny a new one like a new me you know or something like that well let us say perhaps it'll be something shiny and new yeah <laughs> you <laughs> yeah 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 like that like because i told my friend the other day i was like if someone asked me who i was um back then i would have told them myself like me and this but now i would just tell them like i'm an anthology <laughs> i'm like sort of an anthology of things like they're they're not really who i am but you know you see that that's the outer experience or something kind or of perhaps the word that open comes to mind is process yeah mm -hmm. and sometimes uh an anthology book is put together as a process so that each short story becomes another step in the process mm -hmm. and so that's a way of looking at it it's all a process this is what is meant by the Pali word idiopapajayata, which means with this there is that, without this you don't have that, or basically the cause effect. And if you see the basic cause effect going on each step of the process, you can see that this causes that, this causes that, this causes that, this causes that. Uh, so, um, there is a statement in general systems theory, which is quite scientific, got a lot of math to it. But one of the premises of uh, general systems theory um, is, is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Okay. Now, now this was a concept that the Buddha didn't have in the, in the Buddha's day. This is not a, a well-known concept. It's much more modern. But think of it like this, the sum total of all of the automobile parts put together in the form of an automobile 
gives something more than the actual sum of the parts. What is it? Transportation. Okay. Okay, but transportation is not easily seen until you understand how to look. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Right. So the so the outcome or the the uh, when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, the sum is often nebulous. But in a way, for the car, it's the whole point of putting all of those parts together for the car. The intended yeah. outcome was transportation. We okay. can also see that the process of your life or in fact the ingredients like the car parts the ingredient of the mind the body the feelings uh perception all of your memories and all of that are the constituent components and there's no self there anywhere but when you put all of that stuff together and you've got a functioning entity that is what arises the self Except that the self is much more like transportation. You can't put it in a box. Yeah. <laughs> you can't bury it or cremate it. No. no okay, way. This, okay, so this is what we mean in a way of, uh, yes, there does a self exist, but really it doesn't. Yeah. It exists the way that the transportation works, the way for the car. In other words, it's the sum total or uh, the outcome. And I understand the uh, dilemma that kids get into when this is not explained to them properly. And so they think, I am the, and fill in the blank. Okay, so if it's, uh, let us say, an event or, bad or an expression of bad behavior, then the kid will say, I am this bad behavior, therefore I am bad. Yeah. And we make the same mistake when we say, uh, I am angry. Yeah. No, you're not angry. But yeah. anger is there. But it's <laughs> not you who is angry. Yeah. That in a way, you are being merely controlled by the anger. Like the anger and whatever the nebulous you is, the transportation, and now the anger has got you so connected together, you are the anger. But with Anapanasati, we say, wait a minute, I am not the anger, and we disassociate ourselves. Aha, I see you, anger, but now the one who is saying, aha, I see you, is now a different self than the one who was caught in the anger. Now the anger is just anger and the self is disassociated, separated, not there. So in this way, the self changed completely, even though the anger hadn't gone away. Or would you say like the point of view? Like kind Precisely. of? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you're getting at it. Okay. In a way, you could say the self is merely a stuck point of view. Yes, I've ex yeah, that's what I was going to say about aversion that when you like at my work, whenever I have wanted to leave, it becomes I, 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 like that's the most time you will ever hear yourself say I when you want to get out of something. Like, 
they're like judging yourself, judging this, judging that. Get me. Yes, out. I've heard that before. I, 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 I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. That was I, Spanish. I. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I heard that all the time. Yes. So that's that's referencing a self that our culture and um, uh, the people in the culture believe and then pass down to the children. Sometimes we make a very, very big point of it. It's not just a self, it becomes a soul. And the soul is everlasting. Yeah, oh my gosh, that's depression. I've, depression is that. Oh, I'm never going to be better. I'm never going to be better. That's depression. Mm -hmm. And the right kind of thing to do is to wake up and see that what you just said is merely just a thought. I'll never get over it. And then you say, wait a minute, that's just a hindrance. Yeah, that's what I've noticed lately, that more and more, more and more. The hindrances, like, oh, okay, okay, move out of my way, please. <laughs> I, I don't need this. This is not, this isn't like, re, this isn't appropriate. Or you could, like, you know what, like you say, it's not appropriate for this. It doesn't make any sense to feel this way. Mm hmm. And yet we feel this way out of habit. Yeah. And I've noticed that, but it can become, it's like when to the point where it's starting to affect the body, is that's when I think all of us start to say, oh my God, wait, I need to get rid of this sensation, this extreme. Uh, uncomfortableness in my skin basically mm -hmm. that's how it feels oh there's so much language that points to feelings like that one of them would be oh he makes my skin crawl yeah <laughs> okay yeah. what does that mean that means I'm afraid of him yeah yeah and when and when fear comes the hairs on the arm will stand up just like in cold yeah yeah yeah, and that's another thing that I've noticed too. It just, I'm sorry, but like, is when the hindrance, the lust or the feet, it's you. I've no, that's just recently, very recently, I've noticed that it's mostly because I'm afraid of it. And when I look at it, it's just the body, it's just a sensation. But I have to be there for a while for it to like relax because of the long term fear. You know, oh, I hate this. I hate this feeling. I need to get rid of it. Like, that's how I used to, because I used to be, you know, Christian oriented and sex, sex, no, sex is like the number one horrible uh -huh. thing to do. Yeah. Well, this is something that um, I find really remarkable. Sometimes a particular phrase will, uh, let us say, hit people with such a profound point that we can talk for hours about the point. And people won't understand, but one phrase just grabs us. Okay, and such a phrase was given by uh, uh, Achan Sumedho to Achan Cha to the answer to a question. They were at a ceremony, the Katen ceremony, where all of the young Thai girls are dressed up to the nines and whatnot. And Achan Cha asked Achan Sumedho, what do you think? And Achan Semedo said this brilliantly. He knew what he was talking about. If this is a direct reference to Paticca Samupada, 
wisdom at the point of contact. So he was basically uh, uh, saying, I understand Bhikkhu Bodhidasa's teaching. But he okay. said it in such a brilliant way that it really grabs people, okay? And what he said was about the girls out there. He's sitting as a monk. He'd been a monk about 10 years or whatever, and his teacher is um, putting him on the spot. And Ajahn Tomato says, I like it. <laughs> don't want it. Yeah. Yep. Think about that for yourself. You In Christianity, they're saying you like it and you should not like it. Because if you like it, you'll want it. And if you want it, you'll go get it. And then you're going to cause all kinds of troubles. Bad boy. Okay. Yeah. That's their storyline. Yeah. yeah. Okay? It's, a, it's a bad, bad way to live. <laughs> okay. You like it. Therefore, you want it. If you want it, you're going to go do something about it. And when you do, you're going to screw stuff up. And if you do, you're a bad boy. Okay. So this is the whole nine yards that they're teaching. And Anchan Sumedho cuts that in half just slices right through it. I like it, but I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the hardest part to see, though, when you're, you're, you're attracted, when you're being pulled you in by your mind. you see that beautiful girl, the first thing that I look at is my, I wonder how much it cost, all of that makeup she's wearing, and how long did it take her to put all of that on? And I was going to ask you about a suba as well. And then in that regard is what's the appropriate way to apply the mind to an object like a form or like something that you've seen so long as a sexual object, basically, that you were learned and trained to see it that way. Well, you can like it. Okay. And recognize that you like it. Yeah. And that's the hardest part because that's the part that you're like, that's the part of the self that we, I was taught to not like, like, mm -hmm. who do not like, because even thinking about it makes me think like, wow, that's kind of sucks <laughs> that I kind of well, just don't allow myself uh -huh. to be at that. But here we're actually um, not denying reality. We're yeah, actually understanding it. You see, the outcome may be the same, but the Christian's in bad feelings because he hates himself for wanting it. I hate myself for loving you. I've heard that song before. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. But with, but within the teaching of Paticca Samapada, no, the wisdom needs to be applied at that point of contact so that we know that we like it. And let that be. But now with wisdom, we can recognize if I pursue this, it's going to wind up in problems. It's okay. probably not worth pursuing. And so now again, we're using wisdom. We recognize that I do like it. And that's okay. okay. It really is okay for a father to see his daughter sexually. Okay. Just know that he's doing that. But you see what will happen is, is that they first, they hate those kind of thoughts. They say, oh, I can't do that. But yeah. he still thinks about it and thinks about it. And the next thing you know, he's off into starting molestation. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that obsession with, with regards to something and that doesn't exist. And he hates himself yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And yet yeah. he feels driven by it. But if he would acknowledge, I like it. Okay. But I'm not going to act upon it because I don't want it. 
see i can do that but you see in modern society now we have phones and things that pretend to act like they don't have an effect but they do like they it seems as oh it's on a phone or i can i can see a woman on a phone you know or whatever you know it is or whatever killing i mean there's so much horrible things on the internet and you can go and make an excuse as to your mind and i see that i mean it takes mindfulness and practice and then you see it but when it when because the most messed apart like the deception is is the justification of like oh it's okay just a little bit is fine just a little bit of unwholesomeness but yes it is and number one we're not sure that it's unwholesome yet because it's instinctual the feeling isn't but like the the act that we do like the unhealthy actions. well i'm talking about that, the attraction or the liking okay yeah, yeah is instinctual okay. mm -hmm. yeah that's okay okay and it's okay mm -hmm. all right um it's like this also uh we can use fear as a different example humans have had fear since long before they were humans if the animals way back then had no fear, they wouldn't have survived. They would have walked into dangerous uh, places not recognizing the fear, and they would have gotten killed. So fear yeah. has kept our species alive, and it will continue to keep us alive. A very easy and clear example of that is MAD, Mutual Assured Destruction. I feel like I've heard of that before. Well, of course you have. That's the whole uh, nuclear deterrent. That's yeah, the whole yes. point okay. about nuclear is that nobody's going to set one off on another country because they know what kind of retaliation they're going to get. Okay, yeah. so it's fear that keeps us out of war. Normally, because of the fears, the way that they are, Fears cause war. Oh, he's dangerous. Let's go take care of him before he sneaks in here and takes care of us. And that's a good thing. But right now, like, well, that it would uh, protect us all from nuclear disaster. <laughs> well, except that normally the fears are ignorant. Yeah, yes, I agree. Okay, like then we don't go check out to make sure he's dangerous. That's okay. what the powwow is all about. We need a powwow to figure out if we can do this without becoming enemies and fighting with each other. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> all right. And so that's where mutual assured destruction or nuclear energy comes in. I cannot attack him. Because I can't just attack him and beat him. They will retaliate and they will retaliate even after I destroy city after city they'll still have enough of that stuff left that they're going to destroy this city too yeah that's what they mean by mutually assured destruction and that kind of fear then has basically uh, that with the European Union has brought about a much better peace than we used to have more than 70 years ago all right, but, uh, but getting, getting back to the point about instincts, the fear instinct has kept the human race alive. Okay. And mutually assured destruction is just one of the examples that the human species 
would have continued into their path of uh, mutual destruction, except for the fact that, wait a minute, they can destroy us back, the fear element. Unless you understand this quality of fear as a good thing, we'll never be able to deal with it. In other words, there will always be room for fear, even in fearlessness. Yeah. Because now in the state of fearlessness, we use wisdom to see what's dangerous, not a gut reaction. Yeah, like common sense. Don't go into a bear. Common sense. (laughs) With the look at what's going on. Yeah. Because uh, because we can manage it with wisdom better. Okay, so if we can taint, uh, work with fear uh, at that instinctual level, then we can work with the procreation instinct at that same level. In fact, we can go through all the instincts. The procreation instinct, if we didn't have it, the human race would have not, there would have been one or maybe two humans, and that's it. <laughs> no? <Yeah. laughs> Uh, the preservation of the species requires us for that procreation. Also, the nesting instinct. If we were not uh, at the gut level feeling of fear, then we would have not been able to develop the nest. And another word for the nest is the herd. And you can understand bas- basically the nesting instinct through herd. The example, oh, this is my favorite, the sheep. Herd together because of the sheepdog. And he's out there barking and he runs over here and barks and he'll go this way. And then he runs over here and barks and he'll go that way and he'll get in a tight little thing. And and the dog will maneuver the sheep towards the gate so that he can get them into the other pasture. That's the whole point of this. And the sheep will do that all in a tight herd. None of the old sheep and none of the billy goats and the big billy goat gruffs are having a conversation. They should have, if they were smart, they would say, hey, you know, that dog's not as big as you are, and he's not as big as I am. Why don't we go gang up on that dog? If we keep that dog surrounded by three or four good sheep, the whole rest of the herd don't have to do anything he's told us, telling us to do. But until yeah. we can run him. In fact, this is the whole show that happened with um, Mary Shelley's book, uh, uh, Frankenstein. At the end of the book, Everyone was terrified and petrified of the monster until one guy stood up and says, we can take him. And then the mob changed their fear into revenge. Okay. All right. But that takes a bit of wisdom to recognize that we do not have to herd together. We do not have to cower in a group. That this group, in fact, can go do something about it. And that's, uh, uh, so the herding instinct, without that herding instinct, there wouldn't have been sheep. The wildebeest would all have been cut down one at a time because they weren't in a herd. The herd keeps the nest going, and the nest is what allows appropriation. The last one is territory, the territorial instinct that if nobody knows the territories of others, then it's going to be dangerous. That that's the whole problem that's come into the, into the Western mostly mentality of the territorial instinct 
goes to the point that it's no longer a physical boundary. With dogs, it always is. In other words, the dogs know their boundary is at the end of, edge of the road. Outside the edge of the road is not their territory. Their territory is the yard. With humans, we don't have that. We've modified that instinct to where it's not that other place. It's that other people. Okay. Given rise to tribalism, yeah. racism, and in fact, if you look at that herding instinct, this herd herds together, and that herd over there herds together. Yeah, separate little herds. States. And they're separated <laughs> in this little herd or little states, and that they are afraid of each other. Yeah. Okay, so basically back around to the fear. We have fear as the base, and so we collect together and have a herding instinct or a, a, a nesting instinct because of fear, and we have a territorial instinct because of fear. And also, um, looking at it strictly from sexuality, uh, the birth of the baby is a very dangerous time. For the mother? Or for the, for the mother? Baby? For the, for the baby, baby, for the family, for everybody. Okay. Very dangerous time in the old days. Now that we have modern science, I mean, we've taken care of so many issues, but the instincts yeah. are still there. And so you have the old man, the old guard saying, you guys better be careful. Don't go messing around. You got to be ready to have a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's like this. Look how that's just gone south. The whole idea is wisdom starts it off. Be careful has now into you're a bad person because you feel an instinctual feeling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like or and also if and then the other thing is like if you don't obsessively um, indulge in that instinctual feeling, then you're not normal. Well, so it's like let these us two say, extremes. There are there are so many people doing it. Does that make it normal? No, never. I think I've well, learned that it, later. Yeah. Well, you've learned that lately, but before the idea was is that when everybody's doing it, it must be normal, good, correct, and okay. Yeah. The example yeah, oh, yeah. is fifty million Frenchmen can't be wrong. Yeah, like this idea, uh, like a lot of suffering in my life came from the idea that I needed rules. I needed a map for my life. And if I didn't have a map, then I had no meaning. Mm -hmm. I had no purpose. And that is true. And that's great. Because <laughs> I hate Now purpose. we recognize, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. It's not a tragedy. That's a marvel. Yeah, it is. It's just that when you preach so many times, God has a purpose for your life. You know, God has a purpose. There needs to be a literal definite it's thing not god who has a purpose in your life it's the church and the guys who were telling you that yeah and that's and the, they're the god yeah. that's an existential thing that people get into in church because I, I went through it a lot of people go through it um a lot of people either go to the complete south and end up you know like it can go bad and then or it can go become awesome you know you can discover who you are who you really were, your own rules, your own way, the own way of making your life better. Ah, but if you do that, though, a lot, you will find at least 
a number of the hierarchy will come to you and say, you're not doing God's purpose. You're doing your own thing. And yep. that we want you to do what we want you to do. And if you do, then we will say you're doing God's purpose. Yeah. Because yeah. you're doing power. Yeah, because I remember I, I left because I, I saw a better version of God. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just go back to Buddhism because ultimately that's the most easiest way to go and without all the complicated ide ideologies. And um, I remember I told I told someone, I was like, well, you know, I, I, I remember Ramdas uh, or people like you, right, um, or anyone, like they would say you're wrong just because you think a certain way. And that you're going to eternal damnation just because you think a certain way. And I remember thinking, like, how can someone like as kind as you or as any any person that is genuinely kind go to hell? It just doesn't make sense. Like that, even then, even bad people, what about them? Like, because everything is mixed, like you said before, everything is mixed. So it becomes a, a thin line. It just disappears. Like the duality <laughs> of that that horrible system that created uh you know all that but sorry i just really love that because i went through that phase but it's more like the integrating is the thing i'm missing which is like my physical experience as a person and not an idea that i need to become and that's where the dissociation for me comes where it's like the the actual my life the real one and then the one that was supposed to be lived out by these structures and the that, one that you were told to do. Exactly, yeah. In and that Buddhism, they have a ceremony for children. This ceremony is done at the Wat on every Buddha day, about once a week. And in the Western Buddhist watch, they go on Sunday because of the calendar of the Westerners. And every Sunday, they will do this. It's called the Triple Gem and the Precepts. Basically, what they're doing is they're reading out loud, the, or the monks are chanting out loud in a foreign language, but everybody is supposed to know the Riot Act. The Riot Act. What is yeah, that? Yeah, the Buddhist Riot Act. Panati Pata We Ramane Sakabadam Samatiyame Timadana We Ramane Sakabadam Samatiyame and you mean it too. Most of what way Ramane Sakabadam Samatiyame. The precepts. <laughs> the precepts, exactly. And that they're handed down to children as a set of laws, a set of rules. Well, you can see that the Christians do the same thing to their kids. They just don't do it in uh, in ceremony, but they do it with the same kind of gusto. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, and that in, in the concept of Buddhism, um, the, the precepts are given to the kids because the kids themselves don't have the wisdom to see how to stay out of trouble. So they're given that information in advance. Here's a set of rules or guidelines because you're not smart enough to see things for yourself. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's what the Ten Commandments were. Yeah, and 
That's not to, true. To set down a set of rules for people to follow because they're not smart enough to figure it out themselves. Yeah. Oh, wait you, a minute. Wait just a cotton picking here. So you're saying that nobody knew that uh, killing was wrong until Moses came down off the hill with the with tablets? Why did he get sent to the uh, wilderness because he had killed somebody? You know, that's the yeah. whole point yeah. is, is that uh, the rules have been known to humanity since long before because of wis uh, human wisdom. You want to know an interesting fun fact before you like just a quick little fun fact. <laughs> Even in the Bible, God says to the people of Israel, he says, why do you want a king when I am speaking to you within your heart? Mm -hmm. It's like in that inner wisdom, that panya, that that already innate play, like that is already. But they wanted rules because they couldn't really think for themselves, even though they already had that innate capability. To mm -hmm. actually, there's a whole lot of stuff that was wrapped up in that. I want a king, in the sense that if we're if we got a king, we're no longer just a tribe. We're something important. Also, yeah. if we got a king, he'll have an army and he'll protect us from those guys over there who's got a king. Okay. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is, is that we are giving up our freedom for safety. Oh, that's a, wow. I never thought about, I usually people put it in reverse. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. It's like we give up, like, you know what I mean? They usually put it like YOLO. Have you ever heard of that term? YOLO. YOLO, tell me about it. Like in order, you only live once, so do literally do whatever you wish, but in the sense of like no thinking about it, just do. Just do, do, do until you end up in a brothel somewhere. <laughs> it's like, or dead or, or drunk in somewhere, like in that sense, in that attitude. Let, let us say that that sounds the way you're talking about it, like a, um, something that an old wise man said to a kid, and by the time he got home, he the kid had turned what the wise man said into that. <laughs> party, into a party theme song or something. Mm -hmm, right. Then, uh, in fact, there's nothing wrong with a party. Let's yeah. have a party. In fact, I think that the world would be a better place if Wall Street would have more parties. Yes, yes. <laughs> like one every day that lasted several hours. <laughs> they could, yeah. yeah. They did, actually. They have. <laughs> well, the whole idea then is, is that if you have a party, then it must be stupid. Because yeah. wise people don't party. Yeah, that's, that's the idea. That's the culture. Yeah. Uh huh. That's our that's our culture that we have, uh, which is basically, um, from the perspective of I'm miserable, therefore you must be miserable too. And that yeah. whole package gets passed down generation by generation by generation. And it's with the Buddha Dhamma that we can wake up to say, wait a minute, that's just attachments to the way things should be, that I was told that they should be that way. And that things are, in fact, not really like that. So yeah. if they're not really like that, and they're not really like that for anyone, and everyone that I know is trying to make things like that, and they wind up being miserable failures at it, maybe it's time for us to stop trying 
to do it, to make things like we've been told that they ought to be. They'd be more satisfied with the way things are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, And it's funny because that is considered in like if I'm it's really in strange because if you're happy, that's considered an issue. If you change, that's considered an issue. Like in this society, you're meant to be who you are. But you're not you literally can as you grow older, you see that you literally don't want to be anyone. You want to be at ease like you want to like just paint or something. <laughs> I don't know. Go somewhere else. Do something you like. Now, there's a there's kind of a difference between the Thai culture and the Western culture in that way. With Thai culture, um, everyone is born into a large extended family and into a situation with the idea that each child must learn to fit into their family and their situation and be happy with their life. That's the whole point. In the West, it's completely different than that. In the West, they say, okay, you've been born in original sin, you're miserable, now you have to work your way out of it, you have to do what you're told to do. And if you do the work, you will get a reward for it, which is actually the law of common. Do something good now, and later you're going to get a reward for it. Yeah. And everybody winds up being disappointed because the rewards are magical, and so is the good in the good behavior. Yeah, yeah, wow, really, that's a, that's interesting to think about, because a lot of us take pride in that, we take pride in our good, if you're, if you, you know, we hide in our good behavior. Mm-hmm, so that gives us then the, the story of Adam and Eve. Okay. They're in paradise. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the story, they're thrown out of paradise. Guess what? Every child is born in paradise. Yeah. And by eating of the fruit of good and bad, every child winds up throwing their own self out of paradise. Mm. Why? Because yeah. we're taught to judge this paradise as this is good and that's bad. And in fact, Really, where the good and bad comes from is not from wisdom. It comes from feelings. And that's why there's so many mistakes with it. Basically, it goes like this. I like it. Therefore, I want it. Therefore, it must be good. That's kind of like when people start, uh, our ancestors, when they taste things. Mm -hmm. Tasted things when they tasted fruits and such. That's possibly how the humans got that way. Is we went around because we were nomadic from uh, deep roots. And that meant that we were going around and finding different flora and fauna. Yeah, okay. And that we had to experiment our way through it. Is the food that we find here going to poison us or is it going to be good for us? Yeah, that must have been a journey. <laughs> All right. So now we understand about taste that if it tastes bad, we throw it out. We know what sour is. We know what uh, food going off is. We know what bad meat tastes like. And so we'll throw that stuff out. Uh, bitter things, we throw them out. Uh, but uh, the things that taste sweet, we like that. Things like, uh, like fat. So 
we have been, let us say, programmed at the DNA level to like the things that the body needs that it's in short supply of. Fast forward yeah. 100,000 years to present time, and guess what? Now we have an abundance of those things that used to be scarce that we needed. Mm-hmm. And now we tend to overindulge in those things that we like because they're readily available. An example of that is sugar. You know, 500 years ago, sugar was such a rarity that only the royalty would have it. Wow, wow. I didn't know that. That's cool. I mean, that's cool to a history fact. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's crazy. Now people are dying from it. Right. That the sugar industry, in fact, that was the whole issue about uh, the South, uh, southern United States around Alabama and that area versus Cuba. Why? What is, Who what is, is going different? to supply the sugar to Europe? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The slaves in the southern U.S. or the slaves on the Cuban island? Who's going to supply the sugar? Mm. And so um, the, the thing that means that if it used to be rare and valuable to the body, then the human developed the feeling of liking for that. So yeah. even our feelings are based upon old, old, old wisdom. Yeah, very old, but okay. Very old wisdom. And that old wisdom doesn't work when things change, like the availability. Of what? Like of, of any pleasure, of sensual pleasure? Anything that we like, and and that's exactly what's happened with pornography. Yeah. Used to, the young boy would be very, very attracted to that girl. <laughs> yeah, it and, was normal. It was innocent at first. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always not, not Not just innocent. It kept the species alive. Yeah, yeah. But now it's readily available, not the real thing, but the uh, uh, the Internet version of it. Yeah. And so we go after the internet porn when in fact it's a natural thing. And the Christians are screaming at the top of their lungs, you're going to go to hell because you're doing something that I didn't get to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's that <laughs> feeling of putting all your crap on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason for that. Well, that's basically... <clears throat> what the whole idea of power is. If I can be powerful uh, enough to control your behavior, then I can feel safe around you. That if I cannot control you, then you may come and stab me in the back. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, (laughs) Greek kings thought that way. A lot of Greece and Greece and Rome. Oh, exactly so. But you see that they're just living out normal human behavior. But yeah. they got recorded. But that's how we all are, that in fact that territorial instinct makes us afraid of people who could be our friends. Okay. This is why the Buddha had told Ananda that friendship is the whole of the Dhamma. Why? Because in order to be friends with someone, you've got to put down your negative feelings. You've got to set aside your anxiety. 
Yeah. You got to set aside your competition. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so uh, if you can understand, basically then what that means is we need to make friends with our own instincts. I've always heard this concept, but I really never understood it because of, I never had the tools and now I do. Mm -hmm. um, but but it, uh, it's like the attitude of aversion towards that instinct, the aversion, right. the hindrance, really. Yeah. Is when there's aversion for it is a hindrance. When you see it clearly for what it is, that's wisdom. And so when we see it clearly and see, okay, oh, that's not myself. That means, well, since it's not myself, why don't I just feel good instead? Mm -hmm. Instead, exactly. And rat choose that world instead of that one, the other one that I'm living in in my head. Every mind moment, every instant in time, we have a choice. That's the hard awake. thing. And if, yeah, if we're awake. And there's a certain point where that line awake and asleep, like I can get kind of so far into the sleepiness, like the dullness. And there if, really like, the is a gray area. Yeah, like that justification, that delusion, the delusion. I would that's a perfect word for it, a delusion. Like, oh, it's okay. You're not gonna get hurt this time. Nothing's gonna happen. You're gonna be. It's okay. We won't die or anything, or we won't. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know. Like you, it's like a certainty, a certainty. You give yourself this certainty. I guess mm -hmm. that's how you, I would put it. Um, and then you feel extremely bad afterwards and you despair for a while and then you well, get the up. The reason again. that they go into that, though, is because they, they, they had that certainty yeah, that was they, built upon sand. It wasn't built upon real investigation. It was built upon the delusion. And so they, uh, they, they tripped. They weren't watching where they were going. Or, okay, or they decided that, oh, I can do that. Yeah, and I but knew they're not break... really prepared, so they hurt themselves. Yeah, and and I knew from you, I figured out that I broke the addiction when I I thought always that when I break the addiction, I'll feel something, or it was always magical thinking, like oh, this addiction is a demon, and it's its own entity. So, but then I realized, like oh, my personality view and all that, little by little, I was like, the addiction disappeared because of the fact that I was just like. That's not who I am, literally. Like, I saw that. That's not who I am. It was really weird because usually I try to fight within the context of the addiction, like, within it. Like, oh, I'm going to find my way out of prison in this cage by looking at the wall or something. Okay. I, I, like, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yes. One of the things that's worth pointing out is that uh, the word addiction... Um, has a really bad connotation. It's almost like a dirty word. Yeah. And the word uh, that's a little bit softer, but has that same connotation as the word attachment, especially in Buddhist circles. Hmm. And yet the, the Buddha himself was very specific that there are four modes of clinging. Only four. Yeah. If what we're doing is one of these four modes of clinging, then we will wind up in the woeful state. We will be reborn into the state that we're clinging to. But attachments in general can be healthy if we're attached to the right thing. An example of that is, is that if, uh, oh, I've seen this all the time, 
Uh, they have a in Thailand. They have a uh, a, a pickup truck system that they have a bench on both sides. So, so it's called a song tower or a two bencher, and they almost always have a covering over it. Okay. And and then in the back of the pickup, the ties can really crowd in. <laughs> I have seen them so laden down that um, uh, like 30 people in the back of a pickup. Many Man. of them hanging right off the side, but it doesn't matter which place <laughs> you are. It matters that if you're going to sit there, you need to position yourself or attach yourself to that truck because it's moving around. A way to talk about it is you have to have sea legs. For instance, you're sitting in the back of the truck all by yourself and the truck takes off. Naturally, you're going to fall over this way. Yeah. So you need to put your arm down and brace yourself. Mm. If the truck then comes to a stop and it and comes this way and I'm sitting, I need to put this arm down on this side of the bench to brace myself because of this changes of acceleration. On mm. the back of this truck, uh, there may not be room to get into the truck, but there's room to, uh, to stand on the bumper and hold on to the piece of metal that's uh, part of the awning. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, and, and hang on, okay? So basically, this whole idea of attachment, another quality of it is to be able to hang in there, to hang on, to attach ourselves to the things that are appropriate and worthwhile attaching to, and do not attach to the things that are hold, unwholesome. Yeah, and, and this is where enduring comes in. With a good attitude, of course, not just like, oh, I'm here, just so. Uh, well, good attitude is yeah. something to attach to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it makes it easier. <laughs> makes this it way easier. The moment is, is worth attaching to. Attaching yeah. ourselves to the past, not so useful. Yeah, and then it's kind of like, I guess, that feeling of the uncomfortable when the lust comes up or whatever a better name for it is the sexual instinct let's call it an instinct mm -hmm. where it's like it comes up and uh, the physical like i can deal with it when i'm just seeing it but when the emotions the sang the not sang uh, the thoughts the thought forms mm -hmm. like oh like some of some of them are just so like they it, you kind of lose it like you lose kind of the context and then you start like no i can do it relax don't fall oh, no you know like and then no wait come back well, you know, it's kind of like a whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no attaching. It's just oh, okay. There we go. I got it. <laughs> I got what you're okay. saying now. Yeah, I get it mm -hmm. now. I just you kind of like answered my own point there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that they will say about that girl, whoever, they will say she takes my breath away. Yeah. All right. Well, the obvious advice now is we'll take a deep breath. Ah, that's good. <laughs> that's funny and good. That's okay. good. Yeah. Just take a deep breath, okay? That even though she takes your breath away in the sense that you like it so much. That it's starting to fit, literally take my shallow breathing and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, to come back to be here now is to recognize, yes, I do like it. Okay, yes, I do. We yeah. have to recognize that, yes, I do like this. That it is really very true. It really is natural. Yeah. 
Yeah, the feeling okay. in itself. Even for a father to have not have sexual feelings because that's yeah. too late. He's got those sexual feelings for his daughter because he's not recognized that he likes his daughter. Yeah, the sexual feelings are more like the fantasies that you start to create in your mind, like the mm -hmm. emotions instead of just the physical body, and that's it. And recognize that she's beautiful. Yeah, it's just... And I yeah, can be happy that. that she's beautiful and I like it. But yeah. I don't have to do anything about it. That's the beauty. I like it, but I don't want to have to do anything about it. And that is completely different from Christianity. Oh, you're a bad boy to like it. Yeah, yeah. And then you feel weird. You feel dissociated mm -hmm. to people in your head. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a good... And I guess the second question, like, and I think it's a shorter answer, um, because I think I was good. I really like that, that because I think I don't want to make it into a thing where it's like, oh, my God, because before I used to like dig in past trying to fix a situation. And that just doesn't I, I, I just going to agree. I'm just going to follow you, everything you say. <laughs> it's working. It's working. That's the way of looking at it. Yes, that the Dhamma is is so valuable because it works. Yeah, it's working. It's better and it's freeing and it's not like and really you can't fix the past. It done. There's no past. And but the second question was uh, okay. from the book. From the book. And this one was I found this interesting thing on the Namita that he was explaining when we were getting to the fine breathing and the four skillful uh, ways we can get calmer and more present with the breath. Um, and he says you can use a neutral image. Which is interesting because I've heard other monks and other meditators say it comes up out of like a magical thing. Like, oh, wow, an Amida, it's a, it's a spiritual being or something, uh, a white light or, or um, Tibetans use you're, you're mentioning the word Nimitta. Ah, that's how you pronounce it? Nimitta. Nimitta. Mm -hmm. Nimitta. Yeah. People use things. And I'm wondering because he says use a neutral image. And I'm wondering because in, there's some traditions where I've been in where we used images but they invoked emotion and that's not that's not that he's saying something else this is mm -hmm. different well and is it useful also a very advanced okay okay is this i know the book says for serious beginners <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um basically the counterpart sign comes and has been added to uh, the teachings of the Buddha, but it came from the time before the Buddha when the meditations, you see, were external. Everything was external, and everything with the teaching of the Buddha is to turn everything external into the internal. I'm sorry to interrupt, um, but I just want to take off my headphones because the battery is getting really low, and I'm, I'm okay. going to be able to hear you and everything. Okay. Okay, so in the meditations before the time of the Buddha, they had the same four kind of meditations that we have in the Satipatthana. There was earth meditations, there was fire meditations, there were water meditations, and there were sky meditations or air meditations. The air and sky meditations gave us eventually astronomy, astrology, and meteorology. 
fire meditations are actually the easiest ones because uh, the fire just tends to take one right into it. So candle gazing or sitting around a campfire, people will just naturally gravitate into watching the fire. I remember it many times in my past. You could see that. Um, the water or crystal meditations have to do then with um, focusing and taking the mind into the water. Casina meditations is the one uh, or the earth meditation. They would take either a <clears throat> stitched together group of leaves or a mud pie that is about a foot in diameter. And over time, the monk will sit there and watch that uh, mud pie and then close his eyes and try to mentally reconstruct it in as much detail as he can. Yeah. And then he opens his eyes again and evaluates what he remembers and what he sees now so that over time he can refine the image so that he can get a very, very clear image of what he's looking at after he closes his eye. Yeah, this is really old. Wow. Like, that's older than the Tantra stuff, too, right? Okay, right. This is an old, old practice that predated the Buddha. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so the this image of that mud pie was what is called the imata the mental image that we make of something. In fact, we make nematas almost all the time. On a regular basis, the human mind is using nematas, but they float in and out. They don't stay. Yeah, yeah, daydreaming, right? Mm -hmm. or, or just fantasies and things like that. Exactly. They don't, they don't... So what we're talking about with a nemata is, is that we're going to get a kind of a steady image so that we can quieten the mind. And there's a number of ways that that can do that. The techniques that I have uh, started uh, long ago to use from Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was a nemata that was not associated with the nose tip, but it was associated with the long, relaxing, deep out breath that when the breath goes out, the mind will stop. And it won't stop back until the in-breath. Yeah, the pause, right? Okay, you pause. And in that pause of emptiness, you can do that at the nose tip. So you can put a nemata there. And the, the sense is because when you're breathing in and out and focusing at the nose tip, you can actually experience the air moving in and moving out. Okay, but that is not step three of Anapanasati. Step three of Anapanasati says to investigate the whole body. Yeah, the kaya, right? The, the, the breath body. Mm -hmm. The breath. How it affects the physical. Exactly. So we're talking about the chest and where all of the feelings are. At the nose tip, you're not going to be watching the nose tip to see feelings arise. This is long after the feelings have been settled. And so the last kind of nemata that we have then would be this point at the nose tip. Oh, so this is kind of when, does this happen over time or is this a sitting? Once, you're, once your feelings are calm in your practice, on the, like once you're practicing intentionally or something like that, you know what I mean? Like on the cushion or something? 
And then um, you kind of like, you're feeling some kind of chill out, there's suka, then you start to do it. Or is it just later on and keep... Or you can take suka itself as the nematar. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So that is... Okay, I see what you mean. That, that object as an object. The object of, well, how good I feel. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, and oftentimes uh, the experience will be to place the attention in the chest area of the rising and falling of the of the breathing, except that we're we're let us say noting or noticing the lack of anxiety, the lack of tension. We're actually noticing the relaxation. And so that relaxation begins to feel really, really good. And so okay. you're just focused in on one point, and it can be the center of the chest. For others, it can be the, the nose tip or other places like this. But uh, because of Anapanasati step three uh, in the sutta, it's better to have it in the chest area because that's still associated with the breath. Ah, I see. Okay, but that's also a good place to watch because that's where we're going to uh, to find sadness, yeah. grief, anxiety. All of that can be felt in the general chest area here. So if we continue to watch that area and we come to watch it in the fact that we're watching it in emptiness because yeah. it's of anxiety is empty of sadness it's empty of uh, work to do it's empty of everything and therefore it is at rest and, and so this you keep on going and keep exploring that right upgrading mm -hmm. it upgrading it. that's an excellent way to talk about it explore to investigate mm -hmm. to notice it to play with it in fact yeah because I think sometimes we reach a plateau and then we don't know where to go from there and we think that there's, there's something many else. different kinds of plateaus. Okay. One of the plateaus is that the student gets to the state that he's feeling good and he really likes it and so he says, okay, and now he doesn't have to practice sati anymore. Yeah, I used to do like, oh, I feel great. Forget meditation. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And then our, we lose our sati, and because of that, the things start coming back into the mind that we don't catch. And then now we're back into dukkha again. Yeah. Okay. And so the, uh, the intermediate student has to keep, be kept remembered that these instincts that we're dealing with is uh, very much like a beard. You can uh, shave. The first time I'll you be. shave a beard, it's a lot of work. But you can get used to shaving, and yeah. then, but if you get used to shaving and you've gotten so shaved so well, and every time you stroke it feels so nice, you say, oh, I don't have to shave anymore. Yeah, yeah. And then the beard's going to grow back on its own. That's just how things are. No, we got to come back and keep shaving and keep shaving. What we wind up doing is making great friends with the shaving and making great friends with the razor in the sense that now we're keeping a mental razor all the time. We're going around saying, okay, got that one, good to go. Then a little while later, mm -hmm, all right, yeah, there's a little hair coming out. Let me shave that one off too. 
And so shading becomes really, really, really easy to do. Yeah. Okay, so this is is an example of it, though I don't know of anybody who carries a a razor around, uh, you know, uh, shaving every three to five minutes, just just a little. (laughs) But, uh, so that's the the way you would say right now I should be practicing that, Mm -hmm. like, Scott, with more more of that, more contemplating it and exploring. To make sure that you're shaving the hindrances out of the mind. Yeah. To make sure that you continue <laughs> to take that, that, that little shave. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting for sure, like, um, because I used to use ob- uh, imagination as a tool, um, but that that's, diff- like, uh, it's very different from that, like, and Buddhism is very, like, here, it's always here, there's no go this way, go that way. It's always working within your experience, not Mm -hmm. like objectifying it or something. And basically working with feelings. Yeah, it's weird because it's more, it's so much more simple when you take out all of that magic, the chakras, which are all just saying the emotions, they're just feelings in different places of view. Right. Well, Um, you could see that the magic that we have today got started in the really old days is merely concepts. Yeah. That in fact, almost all languages are magical. That's the way that the mind works. Our concepts always bring up um, analogies or some. I try to give real world analogies, but oftentimes my analogies are still magical in the sense that the actual analogy doesn't really fit the situation at all. And do you think that magic is, is, is preparing people for that reality of the re, of the direct uh, experience of like that truth that like because so in Hinduism or in these other religions, like even in Dhamma, like the ordinary view and then the super mundane. Like, do you think that like someone can actually use that ordinary view to lead them all the way to that place? There's no other way to do it. OK, yeah, OK. Yeah. Yes, we have to grow up. We have to come out of the the mud, yeah, and we are to come out of the mundane into the super mundane, yeah, by understanding um, feelings. But in fact, if anything is going to be the ordinary world, is the world of bad feelings, and the super mundane is the state of being able to feel good. Well, I, I really like that Namita, uh, Nimita, Nimita, right? Nimita, an, an internal representation. Yeah, because I've, I've had those before, but spontaneously, like very, very few times, but like I've had them and they freak me out. And I was like, whoa, what the heck? Like, because your mind can do some strange things when it's really focused and not like it's when it's like aware, but not focused. You know what I mean? Yes. Like when you're there, but you're not there like you're not focused on what's happening um yeah okay well i hope that answered that question about the nematar both you answered both questions perfect pardon you answered both questions perfectly okay all righty well i've got another caller waiting so i'll let you go dennis i'm really good to see you again 
Yeah, I'll see you soon again. <laughs> All right. I hope you take inspiration in what we've talked about and find that peace and joy and happiness. Yes, it's it's here, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.